Well, I want to say welcome uh, to Faith Lutheran Church. It's good to have each and every one of you uh, with us this morning. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, um, I do like folks to bring their Bibles each and every week. Uh, we're a church, and we gather around God's Word each and every week. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up your Bible uh, to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John 20 this morning. I know many of you like to read along uh, on your cellular mobile or on your tablet, and that's just fine as well. I'm a little bit old school. I like, uh, I like to hold a Bible and uh, write in my Bible. And if you want to take notes in your Bible uh, or just write random thoughts, prayers, I want to encourage you to do that as well. Um, Our Bibles are not meant to sit on the shelves and gather dust, but they're meant to be opened and read and studied and lived. And so this morning, uh, my prayer is that uh, as we journey through uh, this short story and familiar story in the Gospel of John, that you would just be encouraged and strengthened. John 20. This summer, uh, we're doing a, a little bit longer of a sermon series called Better Together. And the big idea behind this sermon series is that God made each one of us unique and special, and I'll just say it, made us different. And sometimes those differences can be really irritating to one another, um, but we also believe that those differences uh, are, are a part of God's plan. And uh, we can celebrate our differences, but a key part of our differences is also knowing and understanding who God made each one of us uniquely to be. And so we're doing this uh, sermon series called Better Together, really looking at uh, and celebrating the uniqueness of each one of our lives and each one of our loved ones' lives, uh, trusting and believing that when we know ourselves better, that we actually know and understand God better. In fact, the theologian John Calvin once said that to know yourself is to know God, and to know God is to know yourself. That's how interconnected we believe uh, and, and important it is for us to know ourselves. When we get to know ourselves just a little bit better, we get to know a little bit more the mind and who God is. And throughout the summer, we're also uh, reading together this book, The Road Back to You. I know many of you have this book. If you haven't picked it up yet, I want to encourage you uh, to do so. The Road Back to You is really kind of a a winsome, fun, uh, interesting uh, journey through the Enneagram personality assessment. And I want to encourage all of you, if you haven't yet, uh, to go online and take the Enneagram personality assessment. And inside your books, and I've got lots of extra bookmarks, uh, are a way that you can find out how you can take the assessment. Now, if you're like me, um, you're going to be tempted uh, to self-assess, right? Because I know myself, right? I know who I am. Well, I thought I was a seven, uh, and I am not a seven, um, but for a long time I thought I was a seven until I took one of the assessments, and I learned that I'm actually a different number. And I've heard many, many people say, well, I thought I was this, and then I took the assessment, and it says that I'm really this. And so uh, maybe you really are that good. Maybe you can self-assess. I don't know. Take the assessment, and then you can just put it in my face and say, see, I knew exactly what I am. This is who I am. And if that's you, uh, praise God. That's awesome. I hope you just see that as validation and encouragement. Each week, we're also looking at a different character of the Bible, uh, specifically the New Testament, because one of the things I love about Scripture is it is so real. 
and that God uses such real people, ordinary people, and does some pretty amazing things. And most of, if not all, the characters in Scripture and certainly throughout the New Testament, uh, they are very sinful, broken, normal, ordinary people like you and me. And I always draw encouragement from these folks in Scripture uh, that if God can use them, there's hope for me that God might just be able to use me as well. So that was a little bit of an intro to give you some time to get to John 20. Everybody John 20? Awesome. All right. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gathering of your people. Lord, we thank you that you have created each one of us unique and special and wonderful. Um, But Lord, uh, there's a lot of mystery in our lives. And so Lord, as we're kind of unpacking all this, uh, help us to know just a little bit more about who you made each one of us uniquely to be so that we can become a better version who you want us to be. And so God, now may the words of my mouth The meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a child, uh, one of my favorite stories uh, was The Adventures of Curious George. And if you have never read The Adventures of Curious George, there's something wrong with you because it's an absolutely delightful story about a monkey uh, by the name of George. And George was once upon a time living in Africa. And all of a sudden, one day, the man with the yellow hat showed up and picks up George and takes him to America for a better life. And throughout the stories, uh, George is experiencing the world, all that America has uh, for him. And George has got this insatiable appetite to understand the world. He's very curious. And so invariably, what happens is George goes on one adventure after another, typically getting himself in all sorts of trouble. And it's just because George is so curious. He wants to know how things work. He wants to know how the world works. And I think one of the reasons why I love love and continue to love the story of Curious George was that was me as a kid. I I was so curious. I had this insatiable appetite to know stuff, to know why things happen, to know how things happen, and I would analyze them. In fact, when I got to junior high, uh, I had a plan that I was going to read the encyclopedia. That was just, I just thought that was normal because I wanted to know stuff. And so I thought I would start out with the just 30 volume Americana uh, uh, version of the encyclopedia. I thought that would be a good place to start, right? But then I thought, you know, for a little bit of context and contrast, uh, then then I would uh, read the British version of the encyclopedia. Uh, That's only 26 volumes. And I thought, you know, that's another good angle. But then I'm going to read the world encyclopedia because the other two probably miss some stuff. And I just want them. So I thought in junior high, I was just going to read three sets of the encyclopedia. That, uh, Some of you are looking at me like I'm very strange. I thought that was very normal at the time. But then I started to discover that I was just a little bit different because when I got to high school and uh, our, uh, my teacher uh, assigned me some of the classic readings like uh, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, uh, George Orwell's uh, 1984, you know, some of these uh, Salingers, The Catcher in the Rye. 
I was so excited to start reading the classics, and I just thought, well, I'm going to read all the classics. I don't know what everybody else is going to do in high school. And I found it very odd, I found it very strange uh, that some of my classmates actually didn't read the books. They would read something called the Cliff Notes. I thought that was the most strange thing ever. Why would you read a condensed version of the classics? You would miss all these details. I thought to myself, what's wrong with you people? And I would just pour over and study and study the classics. And the rest of my classmates were reading the cliff notes. Why would they do that? They're missing all this good information. Well, then when I got to college, it was the advent of the Internet. Thank you, Al Gore, for inventing the Internet, right? And the Internet for me was, was on, on the one hand, it was just this wonderful invention, right? All of a sudden, I had all this knowledge, all this information right at my fingertips. And I just thought, wow, I can more information, more knowledge, and I can understand more things. But then it began to dawn on me that the Internet was the bane of my existence, and it was going to drive me crazy because at that moment in time, I began to realize that there was more information out there, an endless amount of information that I could sit on my computer all day long and learn and study, and I still wasn't going to know it all. My name is Brian, and I'm a five on the Enneagram. I'm an observer. I'm someone who likes to look around and observe and gather knowledge and gather information. In fact, the writer of this book calls me the investigator. And that's who I am, and I really resonate with the Enneagram 5. I thought I was a 7. Who knew? You know, of all nine Enneagram types... What I think is most interesting about we fives is we're some of the most misunderstood types on the Enneagram assessment. People don't get us. They don't understand us. We're just a little bit different. Okay, maybe we're a lot different, right? But here's the deal. We know we're different. I mean, we're, we're just aware that we're different than all the rest of you who are not Enneagram. If you read the cliff notes, you're not a five, right? But for the rest of us who are fives, we're just like, ah, oh, I love the details and just knowing what and how and why, and let's sort through it and let's organize it some more. And the rest of you look at us and you think, man, you, you, you just don't make any sense. And, and I just want to say for the record, we are misunderstood. But praise God, God even uses misunderstood people uh, to do his good and faithful work in the world. In fact, one of the most misunderstood people in Scripture in the New Testament, I think, is Thomas, the disciple of Jesus. And unfortunately, and I think very unfairly, Thomas gets the nickname what? Yeah, see, you guys know that. You just knew that. I didn't even have to teach you that this morning. But Thomas has got this, I think, very unfair, unfortunate nickname of being a doubter. He kind of gets a bad rap for not believing. And I just don't think that's the case. I think Thomas was misunderstood. And this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time trying to convince you uh, that Thomas was misunderstood. And you can just eliminate uh, that word from uh, that, that uh, term for Thomas. And I want you to think of him as the investigator Thomas, okay? So if you've got your Bibles, 
Let's go to John 20. Now, oh, starting with verse 24, sorry. 20, verse 24. Chapter 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 disciples was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. Now, I want to just stop here for just a moment, and I want you to just kind of put yourself in the disciple sandals in terms of what's going on in the story. The 12 disciples had just spent three years with Jesus, and they watched his miracles. They, watched his, they witnessed his teachings. They watched him do uh, all sorts of remarkable, amazing things. He was their rabbi. He was their friend. He was their teacher. And they spent lots and lots of time together camping and, and sharing meals together. But on, on a certain day, they, Jesus was arrested. He was beaten and he was hung on a cross to die. And in that moment, those 12 disciples were absolutely devastated uh, that Jesus, their friend, their rabbi, their teacher, he was gone, dead, and now buried. And so they're gathered together like what people do when a loved one dies. It's a funeral, right? People gather together at funerals to encourage one another, to offer one another hope, and to, to just be together. Oftentimes, there's not even a lot of conversation. I mean, there's always food, right? But that's what we do when we're grieving, when we're mourning, is we just gather together. Unless you're Thomas. See, this ought to be a dead giveaway that Thomas was in Enneagram 5. Because in moments of stress and moments of grief, people gather together. But not us fives. Oh no, we go off in the woods. We need to process by ourselves. We need to grieve all alone. We don't want to be around people. That's how God made us. See, what happens for us fives is uh, we get around a group of people uh, and, it, and, and uh, people drain us. They suck the energy out of our lives. And I have a very small uh, emotional people tank. And so when I gather together with you on Sunday morning, I'm moving at about seven miles to the, uh, to the gallon in terms of what you're consuming from me. Just standing in front of you this morning, you are sucking me dry right from the vein. And I'm just dying up here, all right? And so by Sunday afternoon, I, I've left my family. I'm off in a park. I'm in a hammock. Sometimes I'm with a book. Oftentimes I'm listening uh, to a ball game on the radio. If you see me on a hammock at a park somewhere on Sunday afternoon, don't come talk to me. Leave me alone. I'm empty. The tank is empty. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying this morning? You people drain me. I love you. I want to worship with you. I want to be with you. But then leave me alone because you drain my energy. And so, of course, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas doesn't bother to show up for the funeral. He's out of energy. He's grieving. And so he needs to go off into the woods and do his own thing. So, of course, Thomas was not there. Verse 25. So the other disciples came to Thomas and said, we have seen the Lord. See, isn't it interesting that after Jesus rose from the grave, he appears to Mary, he appears to Mary Magdalene, 
He appears to all the disciples except for Thomas. Thomas missed it. He missed the great, I'm alive. And for us fives, the, the interesting, ironic part about us being investigators and observers is that we, we feel like we miss a lot of stuff. We do. We just show up and it's like, hey, did you hear this happen? Nope, I'm the last one to hear about that. I mean, that's just Thomas. He missed it all. We fives, we oftentimes miss so much that's going on. They say we've seen the Lord. Thomas is out recharging his batteries in a hammock somewhere. He missed everything. But he said to them, Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not automatically believe. Thomas is one of those guys that he just didn't accept it. Thomas understands that the mind can play tricks on people. Emotions can play tricks on people. And just because somebody said Jesus is alive, Jesus is a res- Jesus has resurrected, Thomas isn't just going to buy it because he's seen too many times people experiencing things or uh, seeing things and just it, it didn't really happen. He's skeptical, right? Because Thomas, he's, as an investigator, he's got to gather data. He's got to fully understand what's going on before he can believe. He wants evidence. He's not just going to believe it. Thomas is not the guy that's going to show up here on Sunday morning and just recite the Apostles' Creed. He's like, I'm not doing that. If I don't believe in the Apostles' Creed, I'm not saying the Apostles' Creed. He's, he's just absolutely, I need to know and believe fully, and I need to see some evidence for what's going on here. But we, of course, think of Thomas as doubting Thomas. I think he's investigative Thomas. He just wants to see. He wants the evidence. He wants the data. I mean, we would never call other people doubters just because they want to see evidence, right? I mean, think of Sherlock Holmes. We don't call him doubting Sherlock, right? Because that's what investigators do is they doubt the evidence and they look for all the angles. Or I think of Bill Gates. We don't call him doubting Bill, right? That's what innovators do is they look at all the evidence and they examine and they create and they're different and and they're off in a room somewhere trying to figure it all out. We don't call Albert Einstein doubting Al, right? But that's what scientists do is, is they examine the evidence, they examine the data. I think that's exactly what Thomas is doing. He wants to see the data. He wants to exactly, you know, he's like, all right, unless I can just really put my finger in Jesus' hands, I'm not going to believe it. I want to see the evidence. I want to see the data. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he walked over to Thomas and said, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. I love that Jesus shows up and meets Thomas exactly where Thomas is at. Thomas needed evidence. And Jesus gave him evidence. And then Jesus gives this little rebuke. Blessed are you because you believe, but blessed even more are those who don't see and still yet believe. And for we Enneagram fives, we can take that rebuke because we know that rebuke, it's, it's one, it's small. And we know that Jesus is speaking to future generations. That's us, right? Blessed are us who don't get to put our fingers uh, in Jesus' hand and in his side. But for us Enneagram fives, uh, us inve- we investigators, I'll just be honest, we don't really care what most people think about us. We're, we got fairly thick skin. And so when Jesus, you know, rebukes uh, Thomas just a little bit, Thomas is like, hey, get in line. I'm used to people rebuking me. I know I'm weird, right? I know I'm awkward. When I walk into a room, nobody notices me. I don't want to be noticed. I don't want accolades. I- I'm the, kind of that quiet scientist. I'm the nerd. I'm the nerd of all the Enneagram types. I walk into a room and I don't want anybody to notice me and I'm okay with that. And I'm not aloof. I'm paying attention. I care about you. It's just that I'm taking notes, mental notes in my head. I'm observing you. I know what's going on. I'm in the room. I'm paying attention. And I know I'm over in the corner. You're thinking, who is that weird guy? And then you start engaging, and it's just like, whoa, that guy's awkward, right? Don't have a conversation with him. He's just weird. See, what's going on mentally, when you and I are having a conversation uh, in a a group of people, not only am I trying to engage in a conversation, but I'm also trying to observe the conversation. I'm multitasking. So we're not just talking, but I'm also observing uh, in the midst of that conversation. And so then my batteries are getting drained even faster because I'm trying to do many, many things. And you're thinking to yourself, this is just a simple conversation. Why are you so weird? because I got a lot going on in here, right? And then the look on my face, you know, we're known as the snow owl. We fives, we're just kind of, uh, right? Just kind of this eyes open and you're like, hello, is he there? I'm there. I'm just listening to you. And I know for the rest of you who are not uh, fives, Enneagram fives, observers, investigators, you look at us like we have no emotions, like we have no feelings, like we're not even there. We're just kind of staring, right? But we got a lot going on inside. And it's hard for us to process all that. And you are draining us like crazy just by having the conversation. You know, one of the interesting things about this story with Thomas and Jesus is this is about the last time we hear from Thomas. Leading up to this story, uh, Thomas has very few speaking parts in the New Testament. He just shows up. And then Peter, James, John, and Thomas were just there. Thomas just walks in the room, and he's okay walking into the room, kind of being the fly on the wall. There's this little text uh, in, in the book of Acts where Thomas is just there. And then Thomas disappears from the pages of history. We don't really know what happened to Thomas after that. 
There's many stories about Thomas uh, in terms of, uh, and all the disciples in terms of what happened to them. And what, what kind of one of the, the common understandings of, of what happened to all the disciples after the resurrection and Jesus ascended back up as the disciples got together and said, let's divide up the world and then let's go tell everybody that Jesus has risen from the grave, that he is alive and people can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so the disciples divided up the world, and they went in different directions. And it was decided that Thomas was going to be assigned to go to the Indian subcontinent. And there, Thomas is just gone, gone from the pages of history. Now, if you were to go to India today, and you were to ask any Indian Christian, hey, who's the most important, the most influential disciple of all Jesus' disciples? They would tell you without question, it was Thomas. Thomas is the patron, patron saint of India. And I think it's not uh, also uh, coincidental that Thomas went to India, the place that was furthest away from everybody else. I mean, Peter, he just had to kind of go around Jerusalem and, you know, the Middle East and all that. He had it easy. Not Thomas. He went to the ends of the earth to proclaim Jesus Christ. See, that's the thing about Thomas. In that moment, when after he's collected all the evidence, all the data, uh, all the, the pieces that he needed to see and experience, all the observations, and he looked at Jesus and he surrendered. He said, my Lord and my God. That's who Thomas is. That's who we Enneagram Fives are. Is that in that moment, when we finally draw a conclusion, we, we've, we're locked and loaded. And don't even try and change our minds. You might think we're a little bit thick-skulled. You might think, well, we're a little bit stubborn, right? But the truth is, we've done our analysis. We've done our research. We've prepared. We've been studying. We've been thinking. Now we've got a conclusion. Don't try and change your mind. Look out. Get out of the way, because here we go. That's who we investigatives are, we observers. We have strong opinions. Amen? Any fives with me this morning? Probably all your spouses are like, no wonder, no wonder he's so stubborn. But I got, I got to let you know, he or she, they've done their homework. They didn't come by this decision willy-nilly. They've studied and studied and studied, and they look like a snow owl all, the, all the, those hours or those days or even those years, but they've arrived at a conclusion. They were busy. Things were moving, and now they've decided Let's go. And that's, that's the story of Thomas, one of the most remarkable, uh, committed, uh, impactful disciples uh, in, 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 in the church even today. I mean, here we are a couple thousand years later, and we're like, oh, doubting Thomas. No. He was the guy that brought Jesus to India. And so many Indian Christians follow Jesus today because of the life and the influence of Thomas and Enneagram 5, this, this guy who didn't seem to really say much until he did. And then he says something and he gets shot down for it. So I want to conclude uh, this morning with uh, three suggestions uh, or three ideas uh, for you uh, who might be Enneagram 5s like me, or if you know an Enneagram 5, I'm going to give you some tips uh, to, to work with those people who just don't stop staring, right? Who just never open their mouth, they, but they're just, they, they drive you crazy, right? So the first one, thank you for your 
observation skills. Thank you for your analytical skills. Uh, thank you for all the ways in which uh, you, like Curious George, have this insatiable desire to learn. You are a gift uh, to your families and to the world. You're like walking Google, right? We love you, but some of you are stuck. You're stuck because you continue to analyze the data over and over and over. And one of the ways I see this in the church is oftentimes fives tend to analyze and they want to know about God so much, but they never want to really get to know and surrender to God. See, we can spend so much of our time studying scripture. We can spend so much of our time learning about what it means to be a Jesus follower. We just never get to the point of Thomas where we look at Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. And so the first thing I want to say to you, Enneagram Fives, you investigators today, those of you who are so busy um, researching and analyzing and gathering, as at some point in time, you have got to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. I know so many of you, you're just stuck. And you can even move through the church, maybe for years, analyzing and learning. But at some point in time, you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's just an academic exercise. And I love you guys. But I know it's one of the most difficult things for us as fives is to surrender our lives to Jesus because you are fiercely independent. But you cannot earn your way to heaven. No matter what you do, only Jesus can atone for your sin. You cannot take care of your own sin. And as long as you've got that sin in your life and you're living for yourself and being all independent, you are separated from God. The only way we come into a right relationship with God is through surrender. And so hear those words this morning. My Lord and my God, those words of Thomas. Number two. We Enneagram Fives, um, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, it, we're, in, in many ways, we're just kind of naturals, right? I mean, it's really easy us for to, to be contemplatives. It, nobody has to tell us to go off into the woods and uh, just go listen to God's voice. Nobody has to tell us to go into our rooms and uh, just be silent or read scripture. Nobody has to tell us, hey, just get away from everybody and go pray. I mean, that's us. You know, we're just like, okay, they just told me to leave. I'm gone. I'm out of here, right? Many spiritual disciplines, especially prayer, listening to God, and reading scripture, we're really good at. But one of the things that, we're really diff that are really difficult for us is gathering for worship on Sunday mornings. I get it. It's hard to come on Sunday morning and be around all these other people because they drain you, right? I mean, sitting at home in your pajamas, the Wall Street Journal, you know, a cup of coffee, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's relaxing. Nobody's going to bother you. I get it. I, sometimes I don't want to come on Sunday morning, right? It's hard. But we need to be together as Christ followers. In Genesis 2, God looked at the world. It was just Adam, and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. You need community. You need to be around people. You need connection. 
And so you Enneagram fives, you need to come to church on Sundays. You need to be around all these people. You need to just wave at people and just be seen. But the second thing you need is to also be known by other people. I want to challenge all, especially you Enneagram fives, is to join a small group. Be a part of a community where you get to be known by others. And I know that is some of the hardest things in the world for us fives to do because we just, we're, that just, that just wears us out. But I can tell you by, uh, from personal experience that through the years, I've been a part of uh, many, many small groups. And oftentimes, I'll, I'll, again, I'll just confess it right here. Every, most every time I go to a small group, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to go tonight. I don't know if I have the energy. I had a long day at work. I was around people all day. Why in the world would I go gather with a small group of people? I don't want to go. I get it. But I can tell you that every time after a small group and I meet with a group of people and I share just a little bit of who I am and I learn a little bit about who other people are, I walk away going, man, I am so glad I went to that group because someone knows me just a little bit more. And I've gotten to know them just a little bit more. So come to worship on Sundays. Be around people. And then gather together with a small group. We've got several small groups that meet here at Faith. Some are meeting live. Uh, some are meeting online, which I know is not ideal. So there's, there's many, many different options for gathering together in community. But you need to be connected. This is who God made us to be. Number three. Thank you for your steady, rock-solid presence through moments of crisis. You Enneagram fives, when things like COVID-19 come along, you're like, all right, let's do it. Here we go, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't really flinch, right? I mean, you're, you're just like, okay, we're just, we're just going to roll with it. And, and you've got this, this, this presence about you that you're so strong that it's just like, man, you're like Dr. Spock. You don't have any emotions, Right? You're like the snow owl. Okay, COVID-19, health crisis, economic crisis, but I'm not going to show any emotions. Man, I got to tell you, on the one hand, that's a great gift because people are looking at you like, man, he's so strong. She's so strong. They just inspire me to get through this. But I got to tell you, for crying out loud, at some point in time, show some emotion. Feel something. Get that snow owl look off your face. Like, oh, I'll just deal with the emotions later on down the road, couple months, couple years. God meant for you to feel. You know, sometimes we think of the, the, the greatest distance in the human body is between our head and our toes. And the truth is it's not. It's between our head and our heart. We Enneagram 5, sometimes we can be so focused on our head and not feeling that we've just kind of ripped it out and gotten rid of it. And the rest of the world looks at us like, what is wrong with you? You have no emotions. Feel a little bit. And so I want to invite you fives this morning to feel a little bit. And when you do, it's going to be just a little bit strange or maybe a lot strange. But God gave us minds and God gave us hearts to think, 
and to feel. And I think Thomas knew about the resurrection, that he needed to feel and experience the resurrection. And when you feel, God's going to do something in your life. He's going to change you. And he's going to transform you. And it's going to make you uncomfortable. But I believe it's also going to make you a better you. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for all the different kinds of people that you have made us. Lord, what a gift it is. Uh, but at the same time, it is incredibly frustrating in our lives that people are different than us. Lord, we thank you for those fives, those investigators, those observers who we love and who they drive us crazy all at the same time. Lord, help us to be the church, your church, to work together, uh, to help one another see each other's blind spots so that we truly can be uh, better, uh, better versions of ourselves. And God, like Thomas... Help us to surrender to you and say, my Lord and my God, I have nothing else to say. And walk with you daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.